Welcome to our webinar. I'm Dr. Jill Brooks, Senior Director of Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we're here to help you with a comprehensive compli compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. Today's topic, Enterprise risk management is an essential strategic business discipline providing healthcare organizations with an approach to maximize value protection and creation by managing risk and uncertainty. We are so pleased to have Mike Midgley from Swiss Re Corporate Solutions presenting on this topic for us today. Mike has over 25 years of experience in the healthcare industry. He's a skillful healthcare risk manager, nurse, insurance professional, and attorney. Mike began his clinical experience as a nurse in the intensive care unit and in emergency medicine. Mike started his healthcare risk management career with a captive insurance company in New York City, having dedicated risk and claims management consulting responsibilities to a major tertiary care medical center. He then served as a risk manager at academic medical centers in New York City. Mike later worked in the field as a risk management consultant with medical malpractice insurance carriers. As Vice President of Healthcare Risk Engineering for Swiss Re Corporate Solutions, he provides expertise in risk management and patient safety. Mike earned his Juris Doctor from Fordham University School of Law. He has a Master of Public Health degree from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey and a Bachelor of Science degree in Nursing from Rutgers University School of Nursing. He is a Fellow of the American Society for Healthcare Risk Management for Outstanding Achievement and has earned Certified Professional in Healthcare Risk Management designation. Mike is the 2017 President of the American Society for Healthcare Risk Management. He is a Clinical Assistant Professor at Stony Brook University School of Health Technology and Management where he teaches advanced practice for risk and, and safety officers in the Master of Science in Patient Safety Program. Mike has authored risk management articles, including education modules for the Nursing Spectrum Journal. He routinely provides risk management lectures locally, nationally, and for international audiences. Before we begin the presentation, you can see that a copy of his slides are available in the handout section on your control panel. Your PACOM CEU certificates will be automatically emailed to you within 48 hours. You do not need to request one. If you have questions during the presentation, please type them into the question box, and we will have time for a Q&A at the final, at the end of the presentation. Okay, Mike, go ahead. Thanks, Jill, and good afternoon, everyone. And um, it's a real pleasure for me to be presenting uh, enterprise risk management uh, to you all today. Um, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and um, I hope that once we get through the next hour, um, you all are going to be uh, enterprise risk managers. So that's my hope. That's what I tell my students uh, at Stony Brook. I start off the semester and say, we're going to start we're going to start talking about enterprise risk management on day one, and we're going to continue talking about it until the end of the semester. And by the end, if you can master enterprise risk management, you get an A. So um, so you'll all get an A if you can master it by the end of this this course. So let's uh, look at what our learning objectives are for today. Uh, we're going to start off, and I'll give you some fundamentals on exactly what is enterprise risk management and how, how do we apply it uh, to really everyday situations, everyday decisions that you and your organization need to make 
um, how do you apply the enterprise risk management model to that. So I'll also walk you through a real-life exercise. Uh, perhaps some of your organizations have already considered um, this topic that we're going to talk about, which is uh, it's a sexy topic. It's technology, and it's, uh, it's provocative. So I hope it, it is very interesting to you all. And then we'll close by kind of recapping some of the uh, benefits of using an enterprise risk management perspective and uh, present some of the liability and the value creation findings uh, that the model itself would provide to you and your organization. So um, let's start off with just a basic definition of what enterprise risk management is. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be using the model that we developed at Ashram. So Ashram is the American Society for Healthcare Risk Management. And for those of you that are not familiar with what, uh, what Ashram is and what we do, um, we are a professional association of about 6,300 risk managers, uh, mostly throughout the United States, but we do have uh, some international members. And we are a personal membership group of the American Hospital Association. So um, at the end of this presentation, you'll see my contact information. If anybody wants additional information on Ashram, uh, how to join, what kind of resources we have, uh, et cetera, et cetera, please uh, feel free to reach out to me and I can give you uh, all sorts of information about uh, or our organization. So the enterprise risk management definition and the model that I'm going to roll out to you all today is something that we developed at Ashram. Uh, when I was first on the board back in 2011, uh, we, uh, we formulated a lot of our um, initial ideas about enterprise risk management and looked at a lot of different associations and, and what was out there in the industry and came up with our own take on it. And so this may be something that you say, hey, you know what, this looks similar to that or this looks similar to like a failure modes uh, analysis or this, this looks, it, it, it does and it is. And, and this is um, enterprise risk management that, uh, that Ashram has developed uh, based upon a lot of other different models, and this is what we are encouraging risk managers to use uh, in the field today. So the definition, as you see up on the screen, is enterprise risk management healthcare promotes a comprehensive framework for making risk management decisions which maximize value protection and creation by managing risk and uncertainty and their connections to total value. So usually when I read that off, people, you know, they kind of scratch their heads. I get some weird looks. If you've read that, if, if, if you're just seeing that for the first time, it can be overwhelming, and it looks like a convoluted bunch of words that an attorney put together. But I'm here to tell you that it's, it's not convoluted. <laughs> and and all, every single word that's in that definition uh, was uh, debated and scrutinized, and we feel as if that's the, the best description of what enterprise risk management is. But here's the secret. All enterprise risk management is, is a decision-making process. That's it. So if you remember nothing else about what enterprise risk management is, all you really have to remember is it's a way to make a decision, period. Now, that being said, what are all these terms and complementary kind of descriptions that are in this definition that we put together really mean? So if we start off by talking about what's a comprehensive framework, right? I think the vast majority of us that are on this call, unless you've been living under a rock, realize that healthcare is now a comprehensive 
uh, uh, organization and that no one is, is living independent anymore. So you're not just the acute care standalone hospital or the one physician, you know, in a solo practice in, you know, in the middle of, of a, you know, a, a major county or, or, or whatever. Everything sort of connected to something else. So when you think about enterprise risk management in a comprehensive framework, what we're talking about there is an organizational-wide perspective, looking at things very holistically. Uh, it's comprehensive, it's strategic, uh, it's a thorough, and it's a structured process. So, uh, so kind of keep that in the back of your mind as I, as I go through the, this presentation today. In terms of the value protection piece there, that's what most people historically think of when they think about risk management, right? So you think about your risk manager in a hospital has traditionally been responsible for reporting adverse events to the insurance company to make sure we have med mal coverage, right? So that's, that's a, that has been traditionally a huge task um, that risk managers uh, are responsible for. And we're still responsible for that. We, 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 you know, we're, we're still, that's still a big part of, of what we do. So that's kind of the value protection, but the value protection also helps us look at things like reducing uncertainty and reducing variability and kind of, you know, shielding the assets of the organization. Um, and again, that kind of goes back to, uh, to the insurance piece that I was talking about. But the part that really gets people jazzed and it gets me excited is the value creation. So we're talking about maximizing value protection and creation. So the value creation is what is really driving healthcare organizations in 2016 and 2017. So that's how do we increase our market share? How do we make sure that we have a competitive edge? We need to look at our financial strength and we need to make sure that we have a return on an investment on things that we're investing in and those decisions that we're making, you know, that are going to take us into the next five to ten years. We're thinking about things like increased margins and our and our reputation and improved satisfaction scores. And that's satisfaction scores with our community and the people that are accessing our services, but that's also the satisfaction scores of our employees, the staff, the physicians, everybody that's involved in, in the organization. The value creation piece also is heavily invested in quality outcomes. As, as you know, everybody I'm sure also realizes that you know, we get paid now based upon quality outcomes. And if you're not delivering quality outcomes, you're going to get hit. If not today, at some point, you're going to get hit with a reduction in that reimbursement. So that's also a big piece of that value creation. And it's the credibility of the organization and, and the respect piece. And then the last point that I just wanted to point out about this definition, kind of another descriptor, if you will, is that managing uncertainty piece. And so with enterprise risk management, we're really looking to not only reduce risks and eliminate loss and, and, and promote standardization and, and use evidence-based you know, practice as much as we can, but it's really to, to, to help reduce that variability piece. And you know, again, going back to, to viewing the impact of some of the risk decisions we make holistically and not just in a silo, not just thinking, how does this particular decision impact us from a clinical perspective or from a financial perspective or from an environmental hazard perspective or from a staffing and a human capital perspective? No. How does, how does it, you know, look at, how do we think about things from the entire organization and, and again, holistically and not just focused on your, on your, on your silos? 
So that's enough on the on the on the definition itself. So let me get into kind of some of the nuts and bolts here. So when we, when we talk about enterprise risk management, we're really thinking about looking in the windshield instead of looking in the rearview mirror. I'm sure a lot of you on this call are very familiar with root cause analysis. Um, and root cause analysis is something that, you know, in our field we're required to do uh, with certain situations, you know, based upon the state you live, there may be, you know, certain regulatory requirements and so forth. But a root cause analysis is done after an adverse event has taken place. And it, you know, I mean, obviously it's important to do that. It's, it's very important to debrief when, when bad things happen and to figure out where we can make improvements and so forth. But that's not what risk management really needs to be doing. Risk management needs to be facilitating projects like that, of course, needs to be involved. But risk management really needs to be the predominant strategic thinkers of the organization looking out the windshield. And we can do that, again, enterprise risk management being just a decision-making process. We can think about this when, when, we're, when we're looking at macro decisions for the entire organization. So looking at the mission and looking at the, the strategy of the organization and looking at major decisions like acquisitions um, and things that really impact the entire organization, but also the day-to-day -day micro decisions that you might be making. So, you know, are we going to purchase, you know, this new type of robotic equipment? Or, you know, what do we think about maybe um, bringing in this group of uh, teleradiologists? Or, you know, those, those sorts of day-to-day -day decisions that an organization needs to make. Um, also, we, we apply the enterprise risk management model. So what I have listed here in the eight different uh, bullets is what we call the enterprise risk management domains. So whenever a decision is being made in your organization, you need to make sure that you're analyzing the risks that are involved in that decision based upon these specific areas. Now, there could be certain other elements that you may want to look at. This is, is what Ashram has come up with as sort of the, the, the core and the basic areas. And we feel as if most things will fit into one of these buckets, if you will. Um, but there, there could be a situation in your organization where something may not fit into one of these areas, or there may be another area you come up with. And that's great. And as I, as I always tell people, when you're developing your enterprise risk management plan for your organization, you need to cater it to the needs of, of, of your organization. And so we offer up our model just based upon you know, the generic sense of what we feel the, the, uh, the vast majority of organizations can use. Um, but this by no means is the end all and be all, and it, and it needs to be uh, catered towards uh, to what your organization um, has needs for. So we look at things from an operational perspective and a clinical perspective and a financial, human capital, strategic, technology, legal and regulatory, and a hazard perspective. And so let's go over each of those areas and to really identify what I'm talking about when I'm talking about all those areas. So from an operational risk perspective, we're thinking about things that affect the business operations of the organization. So those are the internal policies and procedures and the, the internal processes that any organization has in place. The things that help the organization tick, the things that make you operate on a day-to-day -day basis. 
So that's your systems and that's your policies and procedures and the documentation systems that you might have and whatever kind of um, infrastructure you have um, and, and those things like chain of command and a lot of, a lot of those um, sorts of policies and procedures. So from an operational risk perspective, any decision that we're making, there's, there's, uh, I can't imagine uh, something that we could come up with that wouldn't have some sort of operational risk tied into it. So that's usually the first bucket that we would look at uh, when, we're, when we're thinking about the risks. So the next bucket of risks that we look at is the strategic risks. So this is the business focus and the direction of the organization. And as we all know, with social media and the, just the way news travels in this day and age, you know, within you know, minutes of things happening, it's up on social media somewhere. That is just that has changed the game in terms of how do you protect your brand and your reputation, um, and it it could be as as it could be a great thing, you know, if you're promoting really good services that are being provided or some big wins, but it could also be very detrimental um, if something bad happens and it leaks out on social media before you've had an opportunity to really look at it. Um, so those are the sorts of things that we think about from a strategic risk perspective. It's your brand and your reputation and, and competition issues and the failure to adapt. Um, it's partnerships and relationships. So if you're thinking about you know, M&A activity, that may be something that would fall under this area. Um, media relations, corporate compliance programs. Uh, new services or, or new services and programs. So that's you know, say you're bringing in a new robotic surgeon group, and and um, uh, you know you you want to look at that from this this uh, strategic direction of the organization. So those are just some examples, and what we're talking about when we talk about uh, strategic risks. The one area that we're all very familiar with, uh, I'm sure a lot of you on on this call are. Uh, clinicians or have a clinical background like myself. I started off uh, in the ER and the ICU at a couple of hospitals in Jersey. Um, and, you know, even though I haven't practiced in many, many years, that's where my mind instantly goes because that's what my training was early on was as a clinical risk manager. And so we, we really need to make sure that we don't get our blinders on and just get focused in on the clinical stuff. We're really good at the clinical stuff. And I, I never, I, you know, I never want to say, oh, we shouldn't be involved in that because we absolutely should. We should be leading those discussions. But we don't want to just get focused in on that and lose sight of everything else that, that's involved. So I'll get off my soapbox for that for a second. Um, so, yeah, so obviously we're talking about the, the delivery of care and the clinical and the patient safety risks. Again, we're so familiar with it that, um, you know, I don't need to spend much time here, but, um, it, you know, talk about things like your core measures and your clinical safety initiatives and nursing practices and, you know, uh, you know what's going on in terms of serious safety events and your, your incident reporting systems and things of that nature and your hacks. So, um, you know, what, what sort of, um, you know, tracking and trending systems do you have in place for a lot of, your, your hospital-acquired conditions and things of that nature. So when we talk about clinical risks um, and patient safety initiatives, that's what we're talking about. From a, from a financial risk perspective, and this is where, you know, a lot of us uh, and, you know, I'll just uh, based upon my colleagues that I, I work with on a day-to-day -day basis, this is where we typically need to bring in um, some other folks, and, and, you know, with, that have other sorts of expertise because a lot of us, we don't have our MBA. We're just not, you know, financially, uh, uh, you know, experts in, 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 you know, in healthcare finances. So this is where we need to make sure that we're including the CFO or other people 
that have uh, you know business backgrounds uh, to help us uh, when we're managing some of these major decisions. So obviously we're think we're thinking about things like profitability and the cash position and access to capital. Um, so this is you know the financial sustainability of the organization, right? So we're also talking about the financial ratings of the organization. Um, where are our revenue streams coming in? You know, do we have a heavy dependence upon Medicare and Medicaid, or are we also, you know, getting a large uh, uh, chunk of uh, private payer uh, insurance and things of that nature? So where's our revenue coming in? Also, obviously, you have to talk about expenses. Where's the money going out? Um, this is the area usually where people will put in risks that involve litigation. So this is your, your, you know, your med mal expenses. So how much are you paying out in claims if you have a self-insured retention or a captive? Or, or how much are you paying out um, in, uh, in med mal premiums to your insurance carrier you know, and hoping that that's enough uh, to carry you through the year um, you know, in case there's some uh, significant uh, adverse event that you have to deal with. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, other types of insurance, not just MedMal. So you have your, you know, your general liability and your property and your DNO, you know, just everything under the sun you can think of, and then uh, your capital structure. So those are some of the things that we're thinking about from a financial risks perspective that have to be weighed into your decision. And then, of course, you know, all of us. So we're, we're thinking about the workforce. So, you know, we're, we, we, you know some organizations uh, are, do a really good job Tra tracking and trending where their retention is and the turnover and you know what the issues are and they can work on those sorts of things and, and these are all things that need to be factored into a decision so your retention your turnover your morale uh, the culture of the organization you know staffing absenteeism work-related injuries so you know maybe you're you're thinking about workers comp um, and yeah workers comp might come under the financial area in terms of insurance but you also may have a component that would come under this area in terms of you know, how exactly are people getting hurt in, in the organization. And your productivity and compensation. So keep your mind set in those sorts of areas when we're talking about uh, human capital risks. And then, of course, you know, we're all very, very familiar with the legal and the regulatory component because healthcare is obviously extremely uh, regulated, not only by the feds, but by the state and even you know, by the city in, in certain areas. Um, so we're all very, very aware of a lot of the, the regulatory framework that we have to operate under, but uh, we're, well, we're thinking about those things when we're making um, enterprise risk management decisions. So you're thinking about fraud and abuse, licensures issues would come under this area, accreditation, you would think about product liability, you would think about your conditions of participation from CMS. You know, that's, how we, that's how we get paid in a lot of these organizations, so we have to make sure we're in compliance with you know what the what the conditions of participation uh, involve. So we have uh, technology, and you know technology has become a major component of you know not only uh, our daily lives but our work lives. So it's it's definitely heavily uh, invested now in the healthcare space. So you know we're talking about the machines that we use, the hardware, equipment, devices, and tools. Um, you know your systems from your electronic health records to um, you know, electronic medical uh, delivery systems, you know, pumps that we use, um, you know, and we're also talking about cyber liability. Um, a, a lot going on in that particular area in terms of the, the malware that's out there and how organizations are dealing with that uh, to make sure that they have the protection up. Um, so we're also, we're, we're also talking about you know, social networks, um, so that's your Facebook and your Twitter and your LinkedIn and all that good stuff. Um, and, and meaningful use so that, you know, again, that 
goes back to your to your um, electronic medical records, barcoding, smart IV pumps, all these sorts of things would would factor into the to the decision um, that you're making. Last but not least, and I hope I didn't put anybody to sleep just yet, uh, but uh, is the hazard risks. So this is the last area that you would want to look at, and your hazard risks. Um, you know, are focused in on traditionally what you think from a from a GL perspective, right? So that's your facility management, that's the plant's age, um, you know, the hospital's age, nursing home's age, you know, whatever your structure is. Your parking lot, so that could be lighting out in the parking lot, or that could be, you know, potholes, things of that nature. Um, any valuables, so most organizations have a policy and procedure for valuables, um, you know, whether it's staff or whether it's uh, your, your patients or residents. And then uh, construction and renovation issues um, and your weather-related events, floods, tornadoes, earthquakes, uh, you know, snowstorms, um, things of that nature, um, your preparedness, your business continuity plans, and things of that nature. So those are the eight areas that any decision that you're going to make would would fall would fall into and you'd want to like kind of check off that box and make sure that you've thought about all the different uh, issues that are involved in that area. So what I usually tell people to do is when you're doing an enterprise risk management assessment or you're just trying to make a day-to-day -day decision, you gather your group together that has expertise in that particular area. Again, like I said before, a lot of us have a strong clinical background, and so we're very good at that area. So in a lot of situations, unless it's a very specific type of decision being made that involves you know, the Department of Surgery, the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, or whatever it might be, and you don't have any background in that area because you know, maybe by background, you know, you, you're a, a mental health nurse or, you know, a, a, an ED doc or something of that nature. So in those cases, obviously, you'd want to bring in some experts. But whenever you're gathering your group together, you need to make sure that you have experts in particular areas that are going to be able to say, hey, you know, from an HR perspective and human capital, we got a concern with this based upon maybe the union or maybe, you know, um, so, something to do with uh, recruitment or whatever it might be. And, you know, as the, as the clinician, perhaps you don't have knowledge about that. So my point is, is that you can't just operate enterprise risk management by yourself. You need to draw in those experts within your organization that can help make the decision. So you got these people in a room, and some organizations that are really doing enterprise risk management well have an enterprise risk management committee. So that's made up of a few people and they sort of know who their experts are that they need to, to bring in when they're, when they're having a, a brainstorming session or they're having uh, a decision being made, and so they know who, who to bring in. And so, um, so you, you get your group together, and usually what I encourage people to do is have those whiteboards up or, you know, those, or the paper flipboards and, and so forth. Everybody's familiar with those white sort of paper flipboards. And, you know, if you can, have eight of them. Uh, if you can't, tear off eight pieces, put them around the room, and put the name of the domains on, um, you know, on, the, on each of the boards, and go through whatever the process or whatever the decision is that you need to be made, and think about all of the risks that pose the organization based upon those eight areas. And so you're going to have, you know, maybe five under operational and four under clinical and maybe one or two under financial or whatever it might be. So you're going to get a list 
of all these issues. Maybe you come up with 20 to 30 different items that concern people that are risks for the organization. And so basically what we do is we look at all of those, and I'm going to show you the formula in a minute. So we look at all those based upon the likelihood that it's, it's going to happen, the velocity, which means how quickly we think it's going to impact the organization, and then the actual impact. And a lot of times when we talk about impact, we talk about the financial impact, but there's other ways to look at impact, and we'll get into that in a second. So then you're going to be able to look at all the things that you put on all these white, white pieces of paper across the room from your, your group, your enterprise risk management group, and you're going to be able to look at them, and you're going to be able to rank them based upon the numbers that you're going to assign and the math that you're going to do. And I, I know people hate to do math, and, and I do too. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nurse and a lawyer, so math is not my expertise, but it's pretty easy what, what, we, what we do here, so don't worry about it. And then you, you list things according to what the top number is down to the lower number, and you evaluate exactly what the appetite is of the organization. Do you, do you have the appetite to take on you know, a, a, uh, a new uh, product, a new service line, a new whatever the decision is uh, that has a lot of top risks? Do you have the expertise in your organization to help you mitigate some of the exposure that you're going to be taking on with that new risk? So those are the sorts of things that you would think about next. And then, you know, you make your decision, and then, um, you know, then the process is to really um, uh, evaluate that decision over and over, and whether that's on a quarterly basis or an annual basis or whatever it might be is based upon the decision, but, um, but that's something that you would also do. So, like I said, you've got your white papers up, you've got your risks all sort of uh, um, uh, bulleted all throughout, you know, the, the room. And so what you do is you start assigning value. And, uh, and when I've got the scales on the next couple of slides, but just to give you the formulas now, you look at the likelihood, and you multiply, multiply it by the impact, and you come up with an over risk, overall risk score. So that's a likelihood on a scale of 1 to 5. That's an impact on a scale of 1 to 5. So obviously you multiply 1 by 1 together, and the lowest it could be would be 1 or 5 by 5, and, and it could be 25 as your max. Now that's the simplest way to do it. Um, what I, I encourage people to do um, once they really get the, hack, the, the hang of it and they, they know what, what's going on is to factor in that velocity. And I think that's important because there are some risks that you consider and you're like, man, you know, the likelihood that that could happen is pretty high and the impact of the organization um, would also be pretty high. But when we look at it in terms of how um, you know, how quickly is that going to impact the organization? We may not even have to deal with that for another, you know, four to six years based upon, you know, maybe there's a new regulation that came out, but it's, it's it, you know, it's going to be rolled out in increments like the ACA or there's something else that we, we just really just don't know, um, you know, that we're going to have an issue with it over the next few years, but we're thinking long term that maybe we'll have an issue with it. So that should be factored in. So that's when we add in that velocity, that velocity piece, and that'll become you know clearer in, in a couple minutes after I get to, to that slide for you. So when we think about likelihood, and again, you know, just like I was talking about earlier with the domains, that we've got those eight different domains, and that was the generic structure that we came up with under the Ashram's work that we put together. Um, so you need to do that sort of, you know, to cater towards what your organizational needs are. These scales that I'm going to point out here are also what we came up with and just examples. 
So what we would give a ranking of a five all the way down to a one on the likelihood scale and on the impact scale and on the velocity scale could be very different for your organization. So keep that in mind and don't think that this is, you know, any kind of rocket science. You need to take this back to your organization and as you're building your program, you would look at these three slides that, so it's going to be 15, 16, and 17. And you would want to make sure that you agree with what's on there and that that is the characteristics that you would say align with your organization. So we're looking at the risk. All right, so it's up on your, on your whiteboard. And we're going to go through an exercise as soon as we're through this. It'll become crystal clear at that point. But uh, for now, we're looking at those, um, those issues that you put up on your whiteboard. And if we look at it from a likelihood perspective, right, we're looking at giving them maybe a five um, if it's almost certain that this is going to be an issue for us, or maybe it's something that's already occurring in your organization, right? So this is a risk that we may think um, it's expected to occur maybe on a five. You see that last bullet there? Almost daily or on a weekly basis. This is something in terms of having controls in place to mitigate what the, what the, what the exposure would be. This is something that either the controls are not working or maybe we don't have controls at all. And this is in terms of um, the, the actual process and, and, and who's making the decision, that it's a knowledge-based decision. Yeah, it's by, trained it's by trained people within the organization. So it's, it's decisions that are being made by you know, the, the clinical staff, so you know, your nursing staff or your physician staff or, or whatever, but it's based upon pure knowledge that, they, that they've, you know, picked up through the years or school or whatever it might be. So in those situations, you may think, all right, well, the likelihood of this risk being a, a, a significant issue for us is five. All the way down to, you know, four, that would be a likelihood. So um, maybe that's a likely uh, issue that might happen. But in that particular case, we have rule-based decisions. Right, so you might have some clinical pathway, pathways or clinical guidelines, or you're using some sort of evidence-based medicine uh, that's being used by you know some of the trained uh, clinicians in your organization, and we feel like we do have some controls in place, um, and that you know they they are preventative, um, but we're just not maybe detecting everything that we need to do. But the likelihood of of this issue actually going to impact the organization, maybe we're only thinking about an annual. Uh, likelihood of an occurrence with this particular issue. And you can see how it goes down to a 3, a 2, a 1. So every last little bullet that you've put up there on your uh, white, uh, white papers for each of the domains, you would assign a likelihood of a 1 to 5. You're going to do the same thing with impact. Now, this, this obviously took a little bit more time. And some organizations that have done uh, the impact um, scale here, we'll only look at the impact from a financial perspective. And that's okay, because a lot of times when you think about the financial impact, um, that's the number, you know, the number one concern uh, of a lot of organizations. But I, uh, I would caution people not to just look at finances. I understand why people do it, but I would say you're, you're doing a, a, a more comprehensive um, review and you're making a better decision if you look at all the, the domains. Now, maybe you don't always have to look at all the domains. Like here, I only have five listed. Um, but this is, this is how we sort of you know, came up with it from our structure. But again, you want to make sure that whatever you come up with for your organization fits your organization. So maybe you only need five. 
maybe you want to do all eight, but whatever it is, make sure you're consistently applying it and you don't, you know, you wouldn't come up with this scale every time you're making a decision or doing an ERM assessment. So from a financial perspective, we would give that a five if the, whatever issue we're concerned about actually happened and impacted the organization. So it, res it resulted in less than 20 days of cash on hand, maybe property damage of over $250,000, key contracts were lost, um, loss of some sort of business. And you could see how it goes down only to one, where one would be insignificant property damage or impact to our cash. And so from a patient safety perspective, it would be critical to have death uh, or a permanent disability. So, so a lot of the sentinel events, a lot of that, uh, never events, if you will. Um, so suicide and rape and child abduction, those are you know, obviously very serious things for, for an organization. All the way down to like maybe a three, which would be uh, an upward tick in minor health incidents or um, lack of clinical continuity. And then from an operational uh, process perspective, maybe there's significant labor relations uh, uh, concerns or workplace safety, so multiple lost time injuries or, or recordable events, or maybe a breach that affects more than 100 records. So that could be something that you could put into uh, you know, what, what you would think about for a five. And then the reputational uh, issues. So maybe you just look at like your HCAP scores and some of the customer satisfaction scores, and so something that would fall under less than 85% of overall customer satisfaction that would be something that would be really critical for your organization, so you would, you would want to assign a five. And of course, under the legal and the regulatory perspective, loss of a license, um, so you, know, you, lose your, you, you, you lose your license to operate, and you know, that's a major uh, issue because you've got to shut your doors, obviously. Uh, but a state or federal investigation, that could be something also that could be really significant. So again, on a scale of one to five, you look at all those issues that you put on all your white pieces of paper throughout the rooms based upon the domains, you score that on a scale of one to five. Finally, if you're going to use the velocity, you look at velocity, and this is a lot easier because you're just really looking at does it have an immediate impact, or do you think it's going to happen within the next year or two, or do you think it's going to be two to five years out, and so forth and so on. So what you do, and I'm just going to go back to the formula real quickly, I don't mean to make anybody dizzy, but you plug those numbers in here. So you look at each one that you just uh, looked at, and you should have three numbers if you're going to use the second formula, and you plug it in there. So you're going to come up with an overall risk score from 2 to 50. So then you just plug those, those issues, all say you got 20 issues or 30 issues, you plug those issues into an Excel spreadsheet. And so then you're going to have, you know, uh, from a, you know, Chrono, or you know, from a numerical order, top down to bottom, or bottom down to top, whatever you want to do, but you're going to have all your issues laid out there, so you can very easily see what you gave high scores and what you gave lower scores to. So let's go over an exercise, which I think is fun, and I think um, maybe some of you are facing it, so this would be good information, because I'll give you a little bit of background on what drones uh, are being used for in healthcare, so it's, it's kind of fun. Um, so whoever you are in your organization, whether you're the risk officer or you're the you know, director of nursing or whoever you are, you're approached to help make a decision upon whether or not we should reach out to our physician practices to bring in the, the blood samples um, you know, after we're drawing blood of our patients out in the ambulatory settings back to the central lab in the hospital via drones. Right now, um, in this exercise, we're using courier service, right? So the, the guy's got to go to each of the locations by van, 
and pick up all these blood samples for the day and bring it back to the lab. But what if we could use a drone to do that? How cool would that be if we just sent the drone out and maybe the drone could go out every few hours, pick up the blood samples, bring it back to the central lab, and uh, report, you know, get the, re the results done really quickly, get them into the computer and, you know, ha have that out to the clinicians, lickety-split. That would be great for the physicians, that would be great for the patients. What do you think? So you're asked that question and from an enterprise risk management perspective, you say, okay, that's a great question, Mr. CEO or Mrs. CEO. Let me get my enterprise risk management group together and we're going to look at it. So the first thing you'd want to do, obviously, is you'd want to look at um, and so here's all the domains again. So you're going to look at all these different areas. But what I usually tell people is that the first thing you really want to look at is you want to look at the regulatory environment with something like this. So you're not really probably very familiar if you know if you're a healthcare you know if you're a clinician or you're you're working in hospital operations or whatever it might be with the regulatory environment for drones. So what you would first have to do is you'd have to call in whoever your expert is on regs, and that person might be like, what? You want me to look up drones? I know healthcare, so drones. So that may, that may have, have, you know, include somebody looking outside the box a little bit, but it could be fun. You know, it's for somebody like me, it was a little fun, um, and I learned a lot just by looking up some of this information. That's why I like this, this uh, example. Anyway, um, and I know we only have a little bit more than 15 minutes, so I'm going to run through this pretty quickly. But if anybody wants any additional information on drones, my contact information is at the end, so we can, we can chat all day about drones. Um, but when you think about drones, the regulatory um, branch of the federal government that deals with drones is the FAA. Now, that being said, most states and even cities have their own regulations and their own ordinances on flying drones. So you're not only going to need to look at the, at the feds, but you're going to need to look at your state, you're going to need to look at your city. I'm in New York City, and drones are not allowed to be flown in New York City um, from a commercial perspective, uh, but there's, a lot, there's heavy restrictions on the, um, on the use of it from a recreational perspective as well. And so um, the, the, uh, the, the other important thing to think about when you think about drones is that um, the regulations that are coming from the FAA are, are directed towards the commercial use. So what we're talking about here with bringing the blood samples from you know, the ambulatory centers back to the hospital, that's a commercial use, right? We're not doing that for, for recreation. That's not our hobby. Um, things like Pizza Hut, you know, delivering your pizza, or Amazon delivering your goods, that would all be a commercial use. So that's why we haven't seen that yet, because the regulations are so stringent um, that they're, uh, they're just squashing the innovation that are coming out of some of these organizations that want to use drones. Um, and, you know, I mean, from a safety perspective, it's probably a good thing. Um, so I don't mean to sound negative, although I'm a little negative. But um, uh, I, I wish we were using drones a little bit more, obviously, from, from a safe perspective. So here's just some of the issues that you would be concerned about uh, that come from the FAA regulations. Um, and as of August of this year, um, there's a new rule that um, allows these specific bullets, so most of the bullets, the you know, 10 or 12 bullets that are listed below uh, Part 107, as the common um, operating procedures of when you're using your drones from a commercial perspective. Whereas prior to August, you had to apply for an exemption. 
and every organization that was going to use drones had to follow uh, these same rules, but after they got the exemption. So now there's just a fee of $5 that you register your actual drone, and then off you go. You can, you can use it, provided you're operating within these, um, you know, the, the, these procedures here. So your drone uh, needs to, to weigh less than 55 pounds. It must be operated by somebody who's at least 16 years of age. They must undergo a test every 24 months criminal background check by the, the TSA. Um, typically, they only want you to fly your drones during the day um, because of you know the collision issues and things of that nature. But if you are going to fly it at night, which they don't really encourage, but you can, um, you need to have an anti-collision light that can be visible for three miles. And they want you to fly it below 400 feet in general, but if you are going to fly above 400 feet, then it needs to be 400 feet away from a structure. Um, and you need to make sure that, and this is the kicker, and this is usually what fouls people up and doesn't allow them to use their drone, is that the operator of the drone themselves, so the person that's sort of on the ground and has the, the device that's kind of you know, maneuvering uh, the drone, needs to be in communication and within sight of that drone at all times. So right now, that's what's inhibiting people from really using drones. Um, because what's the point of having to be in visual contact, you know, with your actual eyes, not via uh, some sort of video or, or, you know, some other sort of means. You've got to be directly in sight with your eyes of that drone at all times. Um, so what good is it if you've got to follow the drone in a car or somehow you've got to be, you know, very close to the drone that you can see it um, because then that defeats the purpose because now you have two things that are, that are going back and forth as opposed to just, just the one. Um, drones have to have uh, uh, aircraft markings um, before flying. Obviously, they want you to inspect them. They don't want you flying over just any old people. You can fly over your own team, but, you know, and that's typically why they, they do not want them being flown in cities. So that's why New York City has such harsh regulations because they don't want them being flown over people. And you have to avoid other, other flying aircraft. They don't want you to exceed 100 miles per hour. So, um, so if we were to do our, um, our assessment, and we were to look at all the different domains, and that's what my group did, we're going to look at all the issues just based upon uh, our domains. And so if we're looking from an operational perspective, we're thinking about, in our exercise, um, who's going to maintain this equipment? We've got the drone itself, but then we also have all this other stuff to fly the drone, and we have all the, you know, the the, the tower, you know, the the um, the wireless, you know, equipment and these towers and things of that nature. So that all has to be factored in. So that's something that we need to consider. This whole visual line of sight and the operator or the, or the visual observer thing—that's something from a regulatory perspective. Um, and even though we have it under operational. Um, it, it is operational because, you know, obviously you'd have to have that person and that would affect the, the procedures and, the, you know, the process of, of using the drone. Um, but it could just as easily fall under, under regulatory as well. And, and I'll make that point now because I don't think I made it earlier. But when you're looking at all these different bullets that you would put in the different domains, don't be afraid to screw it up and to put a, a issue in the wrong domain. So long as you get it up there, who cares what domain you have it in? So long as you have a good reason for why you're putting it in a certain area, it doesn't really matter what domain it's in. It, you're, you're identifying it as an issue. So don't be so caught up. Never think that, oh, my God, I'm going to put it in the wrong domain. No, that shouldn't be an issue. So here we put it under operational because we thought it was the, the, the more significant uh, area to put it in. 
So the daylight operations, again, from an operational perspective, that would mean that you know now that we just did daylight savings time after 4:30, we wouldn't be able to use them because they really strongly you know encourage you not to use them at, at night. So or we'd have to make sure we had drones that had lights on. So that's another issue. So you can see we went through all the issues: workplace safety, supply chain, education of our staff, and how do you exactly pack the labs in the drone? Would there would there be ice that we could use? How do you shield it from the sun? You know, what's the evidence-based medicine out there that says, you know, that you that you can do it this way successfully? And and actually, you know, I thought we'd have a few more minutes to kind of go over some of the examples, but there have been some examples. One out of John Hopkins that has actually done this exercise successfully, and a few others in remote parts of the world. Um, so again, if anybody has um, any 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 uh, questions on that, uh, I would encourage you to email me or give me a buzz, and I can share some of that with you. Um, but anyway, so from an operational perspective, we looked at, at, at those issues that are listed there. From a clinical perspective, obviously very important, and the most important things that you think about, obviously, is the misdiagnosis. So inaccurate results coming in through use of the drones into our lab, and somehow that's going to disrupt what, you know, however we're, we're interpreting that sample, and so that could lead to, um, to misdiagnosis, which is obviously huge for us. Um, the financial risks, I don't really think I need to go into that, but the return on investment. Could we use these drones for other things? And there are other, other ways that people are starting to think about using drones. So people are starting to think about using drones indoors because um, everything that we've talked about and what the regs are related to are outdoor use. So know that there is no regulation for using drones indoors. So if you could think within your organization how you could use them indoors, and some organizations have, then you're okay and you wouldn't have to deal with the regulatory um, mandates. So indoors, perhaps you could use them to help deliver supplies from one area to the next. Perhaps you could also use it as a monitoring system for your frequent fallers. So in long-term care, I know we still struggle with, well, even in acute care, but more so in long-term care, we still struggle with those dementia patients that are frequent fallers. And so what if we had a drone that was sort of flying around and saying, Mrs. Jones, maybe it's a good idea that you don't try to get out of bed and can kind of, you know, kind of discourage her from trying to get out of bed or be an early alert system. Or what about those, those dementia or Alzheimer patients that are uh, at high risk for elopement? This could help track them down. So you could have a drone that's sort of above the organization out in the fields or in the parking lot or whatever that could take aerial shots and assist with the security. So anyway, I can go on and on about that. And we don't have time for that. but. Um, but that, that's, an, that's an exciting field that's sort of being explored. So the next area that we're looking at from this exercise is the human capital perspective, right? So we're thinking about shifting these couriers that are now bringing the labs via van or car service to the, to the hospital um, lab department. We're shifting that now to the drone. So is that going to eliminate some jobs, or are they going to maybe need to take on other assignments? So that's something to consider. So that's a risk uh, to the organization. Um, and maybe you think about the union, and so there's other risks as well, but that's the number one risk that we thought about. And then from a technology perspective, obviously this is new, new technology, it's emerging technology, so will it perform as it's expected to perform? What happens when there's a malfunction? Who's going to fix it? You know, the radio frequency issues and cybersecurity issues with the GPS jamming and spoofing and spamming and I don't know anything about all that sort of stuff, but I know it's out there and, you know, there's experts that know how to mitigate some of that exposure. And then the velocity of change uh, with industry science. So that's the science behind the drone technology itself, but that could also be the, the science behind 
the evidence-based medicine of saying, listen, you know, these results that are being transferred, you know, through the sky um, are accurate or they're not accurate, and this is this is what we're seeing. And then from a strategic perspective, you think about competition. So if you if this works and you're seen as the, the trailblazer and using drones to do this sort of service, man, that could really boost your reputation in the organization. But what about, God forbid, you know, drones are out there and, you know, they're killing birds or there's, you know, or if you, God forbid you're dropping some of the blood samples and now you got a biohazard threat out there. So you could see how that could blow up and the organization could really be at risk um, if those sorts of things happen. So that's what you would think about maybe from a strategic perspective. And then legal and regulatory, we've talked a lot about that, so we won't go into that, but you would list all of your issues there from a legal and a regulatory uh, perspective and in there is in the insurance and the privacy issues for the drones that would have cameras. And then the hazard, the issue that I just raised now about what if it's to drop some, some of the blood, you know, while it's flying through the air, that could be a biological issue that we want to worry about. And then what happens when there's rain or snow or hail or wind? That could definitely interrupt the, the flight. So we'd want to think about all those sorts of things. So here's what we, we came up with. And you can see that the highest risk that we have under there is from a te technology perspective. And that's will the drone actually perform as it's ex expected? and the malfunction issues. And then it goes down to the operational issues with keeping up with your emerging evidence-based medicine for the actual blood samples and the potential for compromising uh, uh, due to the environmental factors and timing and things of that nature. So you can see how we rank things. Uh, from a scale of one to five, both of those got five under likelihood, but the impact would be a four. So the number one got a uh, score of a 25, but the number two got a 20. And then there's a bunch of other 20s, and there's some 15s and 12s, and all the way down to, to one. So there's 23 actual issues that were captured in this exercise. And so those would be um, the issues that you know would be reported back to the person who asked the, the question. So in this particular example, it was the CEO. He asked the question, so we get back to him. And I don't, I've never done this exercise where people are like, yeah, this is a great idea, we should pursue this. No, the vast majority of people say, all right, so after we look at the list and we see all those issues that have been identified, and the number that are you know in the 20 to 25 range, it's not a great idea. But here's what you do. You don't just go to your CEO and you say, no, no, it's not a good idea. What else you got? You go to your CEO and you say, listen, the group met and we came up with a bunch of issues and here's our work. And if you want to see the, you know, the, the Excel spreadsheet show it to him or, or her. And you say, you know, these are the issues we came up with. We don't really think it's a good idea to do this at this time. But, and here's where the value creation comes in, but you know what we should do? We should start thinking about using this maybe for our sitter program, or for our frequent faller program, or for our elopement program, or for our surveillance of the parking lot and the perimeters on a, on a you know, uh, daily basis or however frequently you want to do. That's how you create the value. You're answering the question that was asked based upon our model, but then you're creating value by adding additional benefit to, to what, you've, uh, you know, what you've been asked to deal with. So um, from a risk inventory perspective, we talked a lot about the likelihood and the impact and the risk ranking. So that's where you would, that's where you would uh, focus in your attention and you would provide that information. Um, and you know, when you look at the overall ranking, if you have a lot of things that are in that 20 to 25 range and you're using the, um, you know, the simpler formula with the impact and the likelihood, then you know that you've got an issue and it's probably not something um, that you want to pursue unless you've got strong reasons of, of how you can mitigate some of that exposure. Um, and then obviously if you're adding in that velocity, the scores are going to be higher and so you're going to have scores closer to the 50 area 
that are going to be really high for your organization. So you'd, you'd want to, you know, take that into consideration as well. Um, but you know, you you again, you look at what the resources in, in the or, are within the organization of whether or not you can uh, lessen some of the exposure uh, from from some of those uh, some of those risks. So at the end of the day, by using um, the enterprise risk management um, model, you really are preserving the assets of the organization, um, and that's traditionally what risk managers have done. But again, you're also creating that value with the reputation and you know the return on investment and things of that nature that really uh, are are so important um, these days. You're enhancing patient safety and the satisfaction again, not only the satisfaction of the community and your patients that you serve, but the staffing as well. And so here's some resources, um, really good stuff coming out of the University of California, which has been doing enterprise risk management for years. Um, like I said, Ashram has done a lot of work in this area. That's where the model came from. So you can see more information on that website. Um, James Lamb wrote a book on enterprise risk management. There's always good stuff coming out of the Harvard Business Review in this area. RIMS is another insurance uh, trade association that has a lot of good information. And you also can get some things from the Association of the Healthcare Internal Auditors and from a Healthcare Financial Management Association. So there's my contact information. Um, oh, it should be Mike underscore. So that's an underscore Midgley at SwissRe.com. Or there's my um, there's my phone number as well. And we finished in just under an hour. So I think we have a couple of minutes for questions. So Jill, um, any questions come in? Oh, well, thank you so much, Mike. Yes, we have two questions. Uh, as of right this moment, we'll give um, some time if anybody else wants to also uh, put a question in at this moment. Um, first, can you use this ERM risk assessment process for a root cause analysis? So great question. Um, and you know, you you what I usually say is yes or no. So no, you don't want to use the enterprise risk management assessment process for that initial work that you do when you're digging into the event and you're trying to figure out what happened and you're trying to figure out what are the ways that we can mitigate this exposure, whether it's bringing in um, you know, a consultant that has some expertise and they can help you with developing some new policies and procedures or a new structure or whatever it might be. Um, but where you can use the enterprise risk management model is when you decide that we're really strongly considering doing this. So maybe it's a surgical event and you think by enhancing the patient safety uh, initiatives in the in the OR, you can bring in you know this new procedure or this new way of doing things. Analyze that by what we just did, this exercise from an enterprise risk management uh, uh, model. And, and look at all the different domains and do the risk ranking and figure out whether or not that it makes a you know uh, it makes good sense uh, for the organization. So so yes and no uh, for that question, but good question. Okay. Um, how often should a system-wide ERM risk assessment be conducted? Um, you know, from uh, um, from an overall, if you know, if you've adopted in your organization a sophisticated enterprise risk management program, and you've looked at all the risks. Now, what we did today was really the micro risk assessment. So that was a single issue. Um, and we looked at it from an ERM perspective, but how you do this from a global perspective for your whole organization is that you get people together and you look at what are the risks that are facing 
this organization, right? So, you know, what are the things out of the ACA that are really going to impact our organization? And what are the things from all the mergers and acquisitions are going to, you know, affect our organization? So if you did an overall risk assessment of the entire organization, of those risks that are facing your organization, it's probably a great idea to do that on an annual basis, if not, fre if not more frequently. So I would say at least an annual basis. Um, if you're doing a, a, a macro assessment of the whole organization, if you're doing a micro one like we did today, it might be really beneficial to do it a lot quicker than that so you can kind of see the impact and you can see what's happening, um, especially something that's so cutting edge um, as drones. But good question. All right. I don't see any more questions at this moment. Um, thank you again, Mike. Just a great presentation. Uh, you can contact him directly, or if you send uh, questions to us, we will forward them on to him. Please join us again next week on November 15th for a webinar on credentialing with Josh Plummer and Michelle Pavelja of PracticeWorks. You can register for this webinar and also request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at 1sthcc.com or you can contact us at 888-543-4778. Have a great day and again, thank you, Mike. Thank you.